Hi, welcome back to The Creative Couch, a series of podcasts about demystifying innovation. Today, we're going to talk about why is innovation important, crucial to an organization's ability to be successful and to survive. We have two uh, two guests today on the couch. We have Shannon Thorpe, who's the CEO of Fortune Favors, and Catherine Jones, who's the CEO of Creative HQ. Hi, guys. G'day. Hi. Shannon, would you like to, to kick us off and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what's Fortune Favors? Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, I'm a beer guy. I've been in the beer industry for uh, about 18 years now. So at a university, the first job I landed was a job with DB Breweries and, you know, worked at DB for 10 years. Uh, then decided I wanted to sort of work in a small organisation. So uh, went and worked for uh, Good George, which was uh, in its uh, infancy. Um, so I worked for them for a few years and decided it was time to time to test my own chops and, uh, and give it a go myself. And uh, so moved down to Wellington and set up Fortune Favours. And that's, that's where the name came from as well, that, that sort of idea of um, taking a risk, taking a chance, backing yourself, fortune favours the brave, fortune favours the bold. So that was the, the inspiration, I suppose, for the, for the name behind the brand. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Catherine. Yeah. Hi, I'm um, Catherine Jones, and I am, as you said, the CEO of Creative HQ, which is New Zealand's leading innovation um, company. And there's three parts to our business. So we help startups to grow. We really place make Wellington as a global leader in government innovation. So we're helping government agencies not only in New Zealand but around the world to be more innovative. And we work through our School of Innovation um, to build talent and capability in people so that they understand what innovation is and how they can actually embed it into their daily lives and their daily work. Fantastic. We couldn't think of two better people on the couch for this conversation. Uh, in our last episode, we talked a little bit about demystifying innovation and, and defining innovation. And some of the answers that we got in terms of how people understood innovation were how to de-risk, uh, how to avoid entropy, how to avoid inertia, which is a death spiral, um, how to uh, that it was essentially part of the human condition, uh, that it was about breaking the rules and being experimental and creating value. And, and there was lots of ways we defined the nuances of, of innovation. It was, it was a great conversation. But what we didn't get down to, which is what I really want to do today, is talk a little bit about the dirty washing of, of, of innovation. What is it like in action? Uh, mm. so, Shannon, I'll start with you if that's all right. At the, at the moment, you've got, you know, the, one of the the, the leading beer brands in New Zealand. Uh, you talked about it being about favouring the, the brave and, and, and the bold. And that's, at some point, you've taken a few risks, I'm guessing. Yeah, what sure are some have, of the yeah. war stories that you've got around innovation? Um, yeah, I suppose one that was quite recent as well was um, around, we, we launched a seltzer product. So um, I suppose the concept and the idea came from an overseas trip we'd taken to the US where we we saw the seltzer category exploding and uh, a whole heap of you know um, conversations about how big this category was growing and how big it was going to be for New Zealand. And we got quite excited about it. So we, um, we brewed some seltzers ourselves and, and launched them into the market. But the product just absolutely flopped, and it was just uh, the, the sales just just weren't there. And um, you know, reflecting back on it now, what we, what we got wrong is the category existed in New Zealand. It was just called something else. What we probably forgot and um, and didn't pay enough attention to was what's the end consumer, and the didn't quite do our uh, due diligence and research enough before delving into that category. Yeah, uh, we'll come back to. I want to just jump to Catherine in a second, and you know, and I'll come back to this later. But it's quite interesting is that you can do all that work and looking at future trends uh, and looking at future future strategy, and yet it's the customer. Yeah, and I was just going to say that's such a common story mm. that we hear, and. 
you know, I'm sorry that you went through that experience, but also happy to hear that you went through that experience because mm. it does remind us that innovation ultimately at the end of the day is about better customer service. And we see this time and time again where particularly large players in any market are disrupted um, by smaller, more agile players who have just come up with a better way to understand the customer and provide better customer service. Yes, yeah. And... Um, and no matter whether you're you're big or small in your business, you constantly have to go through that cycle of build, measure, learn. So when you're, um, you know, the war stories that we see quite common are where pe- customers or, or businesses haven't actually gone through that cycle or they've got to a stage of their growth where they think they know their customer, they lose sight of it and they, and they forget to go through that process every time. Understand your customer, work out what their needs are understand what else exists in the market and where the gap is um, and how this particular new product or service that you're providing fills the gap that exists in the market. Um, Can I just ask you to define what build, measure, learn cycle is? Yeah. So um, so you you build a minimum viable product or a prototype of, of something that you want to test on your customers and you actually get it out there and you're testing it with real customers learning from that how do they engage with it um, does it fill solve a problem that they that they currently face um, does it serve their needs and then you build your next iteration of it um, and it's a constant cycle of learning about your your customers it's a constant cycle of experimentation um, it should be playful it's it should be challenging it should be a process of continuous learning um, until you've found that fit and then you can scale um, that product or that's or that service um, and so that's one of the com- common problems we see and another common problem is where people have invested a lot of time and money into building a shiny object um, or a fancy piece of technology that they that they tend to have a deep passion for and a deep belief in but actually they haven't gone out and validated what the problem is that it's solving yes. or or who they're solving it for and knowing their customer yeah um but in your situation, you know, we celebrate those types of fails. You know, mm. ideally you'd fail, you'd learn that lesson quickly and you'd fail fast without spending lots of time and success. Yeah, yeah. But a fast fail is an opportunity to learn which route not to go down to so that you can then pick yourself up, pivot, and then find the product which does satisfy your market, which you're clearly very good at at Fortune Favours. That's great. And I really appreciate your vulnerability in talking about that because in the last podcast, we talked about what are some of the barriers mm. to being innovative. Mm. And the main one that people talked about was fear, you know, mm. uh, the, the fear of the of the cost of the, of the resource, the fear of, of uh, a lack of confidence. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's great that you have enough confidence to say, well, we'll back ourselves. You know, yeah, that. Yeah. So good, good. War story in terms of something that didn't go so well. Have you have you got any stories of whenever you took a bit of a risk and it and it did come out? I suppose one of the things that, that that's has gone really well for us and is is now it's become our, our hero variant within our, our portfolio is is the Wellingtonian. So the, the Wellingtonian beer. So we we set out to design a beer that encapsulated what a Wellingtonian was and, and what a Wellingtonian drinks. So, you know, from the, the label design, um, really creative and, and sort of capturing a an, an image of a, of a Wellingtonian um, caricature on the on the can to designing a beer that we knew the people of Wellington would really resonate with. So uh, us developing a, a beer, calling it the Wellingtonian, mm-hmm. that's really resonated with people, and that uh, that has very quickly become our our hero variant. 
right there is uh, encapsulates for me what often makes um, businesses the size of yours so successful because they are challenging those stereotypes that exist, those long-held beliefs that large companies have made their money on, mm, mm. Um, but then aren't willing to accept that customers' perceptions may have changed or there is a yeah. new customer market out there that they can capture that they haven't had before. Yeah. Um, and that results in different thinking, right, and challenging what's always been done, what's always been the way, that status quo, mm. um, which is one of the reasons why you guys are so successful. It's awesome. Cool. I, I also, I really love when you were talking about war stories and what has worked, what hasn't. It's that place-based approach that innovation is really important as well. Yeah, yeah. So that that's great to see that succeed. Catherine, looking back to you know your career, uh, either at Creative HQ or, or prior to, can you think of any times that you've witnessed uh, uh, innovation in action that's worked out well? You don't have to turn your head very far in Wellington to see all of the great success stories of, of startups that are coming out of Wellington. Um, you know, it started out, we all know Trade Me and Zero, but then actually when you look these days, there's a number of tech companies, you know, that you can rattle off, Chazies, Henry, Endgame, Datatalk, Moby, Kogo, Pickpot Games, Tuppy, you know, I could go on. Um, these fantastic startups that are doing incredible things in Wellington. And then those product companies, FTN Motion, have been in the news recently. They're one of our incubation companies that are building electric motorcycles. They've got a back order of hundreds from international buyers, including New Zealand buyers. You know, it's just so awesome to see all of this activity taking place in Wellington from small startups founders with willing resolve um, deep belief in making a change in the world and providing a better customer service or or better social outcomes or better political outcomes whatever their goal is um, and doing it and innovation is hard let's not pretend it's easy you know there are no overnight successes there are seven year successes mm. <laughs> and so you it, you know it takes a special kind of person with this grit and this resolve um, and this tenacity um, but also a very agile mindset, someone who's willing to learn constantly um, and pivot on the spot and challenge their own thinking. And that's something where at a governance and a senior management level, you can make a difference, right? Because innovators, leaders and change makers exist in every single corner of an organisation. And great innovation, transformational innovation yeah. comes from those moonshot ideas. You think... You know, some, some global examples, you know, when JFK said in his first term of presidency, I am going to send a man to the moon and return him safely within the next 10 years, he had no idea when he said that actually how they were going to do it. But the moonshot was there and when he stood up on a podium and he declared that, he gave permission from the top down. And I think one of the biggest barriers to our um, to our senior management people and directors um, on boards of large companies doing this is a they don't understand what innovation is and how it can enable their organisation to drive forward. They don't understand that it is an absolutely essential ingredient to continuing and being prosperous in their business moving forward. But then um, secondly, they see it as risky. And I think we need to, to myth bust this notion that innovation is risky because innovation done well, innovation done through a structured process where you create a true a true sandbox where people have the autonomy within that within that stage to go go and experiment with the activity within that stage, then you're actually enabling innovation, but you are de-risking it for your organisation. So I just want to go back to two points, which lead on to the next question is, you know, you know one, you talked a little bit about that fear of pivoting on the spot or mm. killing your baby is what we call yeah, it, yeah, you're yeah. willing to kill your baby as well. 
which which is it doesn't just happen does it i mean catherine you mentioned you know it doesn't happen overnight it's not easy to innovate there's a lot of risk both intrinsic and, and extrinsic as well that ability to say i'm going to kill my baby but it doesn't just come and you've touched in this catherine it's, it's about a culture of innovation it's not just individuals mm. and that culture of innovation doesn't just happen no. so Whenever we think about how do you put those change makers into the right places in an organisation, be it an SME, be it a, a multinational organisation, where do you start? You know, where do you start mm. that? Maybe if we, you know, go to Shannon. For yeah, yeah. Um, for us, it starts right from that sort of the, in, the initial interview. We, we look for people that are, are creative, that have an innovative mindset. And then right from the um, initial um, induction into the business, we, we, you know, share all the values of the business. We talk about our innovation mindset. We empower our staff right from that day dot to speak up to, to myself or one of the other senior people within the business and, um, and suggest ideas. And, and some of our best ideas have come from the come from the frontline staff. So I suppose it's just allowing allowing that culture, allowing um, people to to put their voices uh, forward and, and um, you know come up with some ideas. And, and I suppose to, to build on that as well, like um, on on the bar team, a lot of the people we're um, employing are either travellers that have great sort of international experience from you know other markets or, um, or or students. So a lot of those students, you know, just tapping into some of those skills in terms of what they're learning. You know, they might be a videographer or um, recently we had, had a girl on the team who uh, she was a a trained vocalist so you know she, she put together a music video for us so you know just accessing the skills that are already within the team although even though they might not be directly related to the reason they're um, employed at fortune favors i love it so it, it is a combination of, of of top down to give that permission to use your phrase catherine but also mm-hmm. bottom up and yeah. the people who are front line uh and i love that idea of using that kind of gen z mindset that that ability to innovate and think quickly and, and pivot to come back to your point before Catherine, is that, does that resonate with you? Oh, stro- look strongly. I think for me, there's five keys to creating that culture of innovation. And it needs to be a culture of innovation. It needs to be not a siloed piece of activity that's taking place in one corner of your yeah. organisation. Actually, it needs to be embedded in in the culture of the organisation truly. And so for me, it is about seeking out the people in your organisation who are your leaders and change makers in innovation. And that doesn't mean they're the leaders, current leaders of your organisation. And this will massively increase your your staff engagement with your business anyway. We Mm. see time and time again with the organisations that we work with how excited people get about being involved in a culture of of innovation. Grant the permissions to innovate, for sure, which we were talking about before, and that's true autonomous permission to innovate. Um, so, So create a sandbox for them. Create the parameters, but let them go and experiment and celebrate the failure along the way. Align it to your strategy. So if you're asking people in the organisation to innovate, to solve a problem that you want to solve or something that's strategically important to your organisation anyway, then you're going to be able to to get a better army of people and champions for the work that they're doing. Um, And then you, you have to create these new ways of assessing the opportunities that exist in innovation and the progress that you're making towards those. And the final thing is you have to chop down the layers of bureaucracy. And you touched on this before. Yeah. Um, they're impediments, they're barriers to innovating, all of the layers of, of risk and credit committees. And again, it doesn't mean the activity has to be risky. It just means you have to cut out the layers of bureaucracy that slow down the activity. Because innovation can happen very quickly within your organisation and it can can enable change at pace. Mm, mm. So, Catherine, does that, does that mean that where you start 
Is that the board level? Yeah. Is that where it needs to come from? I think it needs to, I think the endorsement and the permissions must come from, from the board. And so to do that, the board have to understand innovation themselves. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, thinking back, Shannon, to, I don't, I'm not, you know, the structure of Fortune Favours, I'm not yeah. quite sure, but does, does that ring true for you in terms of, yes, it's top down and bottom up, but mm. does it, do you need that permission from, from that level? From, from the board level. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, um, our board's made up of, of, of a group which are mostly on the hospitality side of the business. So um, so the business partners and fortune favours that, that uh, run Kapura. So pretty much the autonomy sits with us. We're, we're, we're our own team um, at Fortune Favours. So so no, like, to be honest, we, we make the decisions directly at Fortune. There's, there's, there's communications going both ways, but it's it's... It's very quick decision making made right at the coal face. And organisations you worked with previously, is that similar? Um, no, I mean I, I come from a, a big brewery DB where very much it's uh, you know everything gets gets uh, funnelled up. I, I, from memory, I think the quickest you could get a product through was about six months. So you know it took a long time. Whereas Fortune Favors, we set it right from the start to be. We, we refer to the the Lead Street side as our R and D brewery. It was you know a thousand liter brew house uh, for you know three thousand dollars. We can buy enough ingredients to brew a beer that's going to produce eighteen kegs, which we can test the market with. And it's if something sticks, that's when we can scale up. So that's a bit of a mm. bit of a way to de-risk the mm. the um, you know innovation within our business. Gotcha. Mm. So, well, well, let's say that let's say you did start at the board level, Catherine, and, and that's where the kernel of, of of that permission, just to use that phrase over and over again, comes from. Well, how does that apply then if you're looking at risk management and compliance? Do you do you see issues around that? Well, I, I guess the board ultimately have the responsibility for for risk and compliance in the organisation, you know, alongside management. But there's there's real liabilities there, right? Um, which is why I think you have to get the board on side and you have to get them with an open mind to innovation and why it's going to drive the success of the company forward. Um, of course, you're not just doing it top down, you're doing it bottom up as well. It's a, it's a parallel process. But as I said, risk needs to be, risk management can just, and compliance can be embedded into the innovation activity um, through a really good structured process. Do you set yourself up, you know, as a, as a CEO, as a founder? Do you do you measure your innovation outside of hey, we've sold this much beer? Yeah, um, I mean, we've recently done done some um, market research um, in conjunction with our, our distributor. So we, we've got Coca Cola as our distributor. So we did a whole heap of market research measuring uh, measuring brand refer- uh, sorry brand uh, awareness, brand preference, and trial. Mm. Um, and, and that was uh, that was a really good sort of just snapshot in time, a measure of how we how we're tracking, and that helps direct our some of our future decision making in terms of how can we continue to increase awareness in, in trial, and then. As part of that process, we benchmarked ourselves against uh, some of our, our key competitors. So that's, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And internally with your staff, if you were to walk out of here today and say, right, I'm going to set some internal uh, innovative KPIs of how we work with our staff, what, what kind of areas do you think you'd look at? Yeah, um, there's um, like there's something we do at the moment, which is we, we do um, an annual workshop where we get everyone on the team together and we, we we look specifically at innovation and new concepts and new ideas. So, so that is something that's that's built into our, our business plan every year. Yeah, I'll yeah. throw that question over to Catherine. Catherine, you're, you're, you've been a CEO for a couple of years now. I believe this is your first CEO role. Correct. Is that correct? Yep. So, you know, you've gone through COVID. 
you know, once you started, COVID hit. Mm. And obviously that changes mm. how your company's culture mm. is. Uh, what, what are some of the inno- innovations that you think that you've put in place that have that have been successful in, in, in creating a culture as you want it to be? Yeah, so I think years of, of te- technological advancement took place when COVID hit. Um, and so we were a company that was largely an in-person delivery company. And interestingly, through this time, people still prefer in-person delivery of our innovation services. I think we have, whilst we all work in different ways, there's certainly been a need for social and human um, connection in how we work. And so given given the chance, people still want to be with us in person. But if they can't be, we had to quickly pivot and learn to deliver our services to the same quality online. And that was new for us as an organisation and it was something we had been talking about doing. We must do this. We must get away from sticky notes on a, on a whiteboard to actually sticky notes on a virtual whiteboard. Um, and so then the necessity um, came through COVID. So we had to do that. Um, so certainly pivoting to the online delivery. We And then we placed an emphasis on putting structured days in the calendar whereby we would come together as an organisation and work on internal projects that we needed to, to get done internally. Um, things that you don't normally have time for because everyone's so busy in their BAU. So really important to think of new ways that, you, that your team are connecting um, and sharing knowledge and sharing understandings of our work during this time. I mean, uh, COVID certainly forced our business to pivot quite significantly as well, because the, the shift was from uh, from keg beer to predominantly, you know, take home uh, canned beer, um, mm-hmm. and then online took off as well. But we started from a base where we didn't have an online store, or we only sold merch in our online store, so bringing beer into the online store refocusing the team so people that were doing sales were all of a sudden doing deliveries of the mm-hmm. online orders and we were lucky we had a team that was really uh, really flexible and responsive to the, the, the changes that our business needed at that time. Um, even at the moment we do not need to be brewing beer at the moment just with, mm-hmm. with volumes down so low. You know this week we've got our two brewers out of Miramar doing a fit out on a bar mm. and you know we're lucky to have a team that are quite skillful and that mm. they you know have they don't just brew beer they can build stuff as well so uh, but uh, yeah yeah being flexible now, being able to pivot has been absolutely key. Absolutely. And it's also enabled us to, um, as we deliver things online, to expand the network of people that we have delivering. So, you know, we've delivered some international programs um, 100% virtually during this time and online, and we've brought in international speakers and um, coaches and mentors that normally if you were doing the, the program in person, you would need them to be locally based. Um, so that's been really cool for the participants in our programs as well. Nice. It's, it's funny, I'm t- listening to you both. Yeah, I'm thinking back to our first podcast, and we had Chris Jackson, who's the, the founder of um, We Create Futures, um, and he talked a lot about the difference between iterative innovation, uh, you know, and, and also about, you know, fixing what's in front of you rather than trying to come up with something brand new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, both of you have talked about that in its own ways. I mean, th- there's different types of innovation, isn't there? I mean, you can you can fix small problems, you can focus on small innovations that mm-hmm. can progress things slowly, but in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But both of you have referred to how COVID has not allowed you to be just at that pace. You've had to change very quickly mm. and put in major innovations without really being able to test them. Mm. I mean, how did you feel going through that? Was did you did you have time to stop and think? And go, oh crap! No, I mean for us it was it was survival. It was it was really um, you know well. Firstly, we wanted to look after our people, so we wanted to make sure everyone was you know 
was was getting a salary and and um, you know earning money during during the, the lockdown period, um, and um, and yeah, we, we were trying to sort of ensure that we we're still you know covering the overheads of the business. So yeah, it was really you know it was survival um, sort of driven. Yep, mm. similar to you. Oh look, um, looking after your people absolutely was the driver for me as well. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't want to lose people not under my watch. Um, and, and taking care of people's physical and mental health during this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, while still having a strategic outlook <laughs> so that you could, your business could, could not only survive during this time, but create opportunities for future thriving. Because it became pretty clear pretty early on that COVID wasn't going to be a short-lived thing. Mm. That actually it was going to change the way that we worked forever. So you needed, I think, to adopt a mindset which said, we're not just hunkering down into survival mode, but we're we're doing that in the short term, but creating opportunities for long term growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's essentially the the layers of innovation that you were talking about. And we use the McKinsey model of innovation. Um, and Could you uh, can tell us a little bit what, yeah, what that means. So the McKinsey three models of uh, three horizons of innovation, and horizon one is about that iteration change that you were talking about, and that is a step change. It's saying what do we have that exists already that we can improve, um, and then when you get up to um, horizon two, it's about bringing new products and services in, so adding new things to what you do. But horizon three is that true transformational change. And transformational change actually doesn't come through iterations. And this is another common myth. You don't, you know, a hundred iterative changes don't result in transformational change. And if they do, it will happen very slowly. For true transformational change, you're really starting with a blank sheet of paper, going out and understanding your customers and thinking, how can I disrupt the industry I'm in before I am disrupted. And so really looking at future trends, making predictions as to as to where technology might go, um, where customers' needs might go. And you don't have to operate an innovation program that's one or the other. In fact, a good innovation program and a true innovative company would have activity in all of those horizons happening at once. The, the iterative change you're going to get quicker wins on um, for smaller investment the transformational change, it's a slower win, it's its a slower horizon, but the win is bigger. Yes, yeah, so having innovation in a box, within a box, within a box, yeah. it's almost that, that, that approach. So we talked about COVID forcing your hands, both of your hands, in terms of moving towards that transformational change, having that blank sheet of paper mm-hmm. and making quick decisions. And obviously, you these two stories that we're talking about, they're, they're, they're not unique. You know, across the world, people have had their hands forced. But in terms of innovation, has COVID put us in a position where it's actually been a positive? Um, certain things. So I, I think think for us, um, investing in online and, and creating a whole new revenue stream that didn't really exist before. That so you know every week now we we get a significant number of uh, amount of online orders which just did not happen. Uh, two years ago, so that that's been a positive thing. It's something we were always planning to do, but COVID fast tracked it. We, we, we all of a sudden it was a matter of survival that we you know had this this platform set up. Uh, so uh, that that's been positive. Um, I, I suppose what the real negative for us out of COVID was we had already 
made a whole heap of plans based on COVID not happening. So things like, you know, we'd, we'd just filled a thousand kegs for uh, for the hurricane season. So what did you do with those kegs? I didn't see any of those kegs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't get them no, your house? No, no. <laughs> no, we, we, we managed to, at the end of the season, they managed to get a few games away. So we managed to sell a, a good chunk of that beer at the back half of the season. And then the rest of it, we did manage to clear out through the trade, but uh, to create quite a, a bit of a headache to try and, you know, sell all the stock. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Uh, what about for you, Catherine? Do you, do you think that it has been a force for, for good in terms of an innovation context mm. or has it been a handbrake? Uh, so definitely hasn't been a handbrake, but I do want to acknowledge all of the, the individuals and the small businesses, because New Zealand in particular is, is a country of, of SMEs, um, that have been heavily impacted um, by COVID. Um, and and that's been hard for many people. But I guess um, I'm in a privileged position because the companies that we work with largely have thrived during this time. And in fact, new companies have come to us. Um, and this has been really um, heartening to see is people who have thought about setting up their own business or have have had an idea that they've sat on, but there's never been, it's never felt like the right time in their life to act on that. And then suddenly COVID made them stop and reassess, mm. you know, their own priorities or their own work-life balance or how they felt about about this one life and there's so many breaths that we've got to lead, you know, to, to breathe in one lifetime. And I've said, now's my time. You know, I'm actually going to give this a go. And it takes real bravery and real courage to step into that space. Would you agree with that? Yeah, um, yes, I do. Um, I mean, the sort of for us, uh, tourism and 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 retail hospitality, they're the sort of the, the key areas that we're in. So the other areas that have obviously been heavily affected. So it, it really has been survival for us, but we've had to innovate within our space to ensure that survival. So um, I, I think um, the bounce back will be really strong. I, I think you know there is a. There is a human need for sociability and f- mm. for connection with others. So, you know, there's always the pubs, the bars, there's always going to be people coming back to it. So for us, we've always had our eye on the horizon going, right, it's survival time at the moment, but we know there's 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 a, a big ray of sunlight coming and, uh, you know, let's get through the next probably only a couple of months time now and, and we'll be back to, back to some pretty regular trade. So. I, I absolutely agree with that. And then there's other uh, sectors which are thriving. So things like climate response. So yeah, yeah. so people who are working in that climate change um, field of which we've got a number of really bright people in New Zealand who are working on that. And also I think New Zealand Inc. has come on, on a global stage, have survived this pandemic in a really strong position, which is going to benefit all of the companies that have that want to export to the world um, either now or, or in the future. So we're really positioned, I think, as a company um, as a country, sorry, to to perform well on the world stage. Um, and a key to that is getting this world-class research that we have. We've got a lot of great research happening in labs in New Zealand, getting that out of the lab and turned into products and services that can be commercialised and sent overseas. So maybe if we just wrap wrap up maybe with the, the final question, which which was the, the overarching question of... Um of this particular podcast, which was, is innovation essential for your organization's survival and success? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, we're, we're in a very cluttered industry. There's only, t- there's over 200 uh, breweries in New Zealand. So if you're just muddling around and, and, and you know, not innovating and, and coming up with a point of difference from your competitors, you're, you're going to just fade into into nothingness really you, you need to constantly be evolving uh, the market's dynamic there's always 
new trends, new flavors, new new styles that people are into. I mean, at, at the moment, the whole no elk thing, the zero percent beers, is a is a really big growth growth category. So that's something we're looking at at the moment. So yeah, just constantly constantly looking at the market, testing uh, testing the market, asking your consumers, talking to your your, your end user of the product. Um, yeah, one hundred percent innovation is absolutely key and will continue to be. Excellent. Yeah, 100% yes, and not just for, for us, but for every company um, and organisation out there. I think um, innovation will continue to move at pace. The advancement of technology will continue to move at pace, and that will continue to speed up. Um, and understanding how it can help to generate revenue or a change in direction um, mm. for businesses is really important. Um, and companies that don't accept that, don't adopt it, and don't adapt to embed innovation within their cultures will be left behind. Yeah. I think innovation's really changed a lot in the last 10 years as well. Like uh, back in my DB days, we used to travel overseas to, to see what the trends were in beer and, and hospitality. Nowadays, with the likes of Pinterest and social media and whatnot, it's right there. You know, if something's happening overseas and it's cool, you'll find out about it the next day. So I, I feel the uh, the speed of innovation. The world's just so connected nowadays mm. that you know innovation is is ten times quicker than it used to be. So you really need to have your finger on the pulse now to to be keeping up. And there's so much great innovation happening in New Zealand. So we need to find a way, actually, I think, for the average New Zealander to find out about all of this great activity that's happening. Companies mm. like Fortune Favors um, and all of the companies that I rattled off earlier. Um, understanding what they're doing and being excited and inspired by that and, and proud to be Kiwi because this is happening right now in our own backyard. Nice. And that's very much how we almost ended the last podcast as well, looking at it as New Zealand Inc. and how well positioned the country is uh, to, to move out of this using innovation as the mechanism. Thank you both so much. Um, Shannon, Catherine, you've been absolutely awesome. I hope you've enjoyed this this episode uh, of uh, on, on the Creative Couch. Uh, we'll be back next week with the, the third episode of Demystifying Innovation, where we'll be talking about innovation for boards. Mm-hmm.